Welcome to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, whilst the Labour Party does a victory lap of sorts in Brighton, this podcast will focus on the recent election in Germany. Many will know by now that Angela Merkel does look like she's going to carry on as the Chancellor of Germany, but the political dynamic has shifted somewhat after the result last weekend. What does this mean for German politics? What does it mean for Brexit? And what does it mean for the future of Europe? We'll be discussing some of those issues with Dr Roland Kappa of the of University College London on this week's show. Now, the bulk of the show will focus on that conversation. However, I did want to touch briefly on um, the Labour Party conference, which I'm sure we'll focus on a bit next week as well. Jeremy Corbyn's given his big speech today, so we're recording this on, on Wednesday, the 27th of September, um, stating that the Labour Party is ready for power and saying that the centre ground has shifted towards the Labour Party and towards the left. Now, this is creating something of a debate on other podcasts and in the media about just how close the Labour Party is to power. Um, I think it's fair to say that the mood of the uh, Labour Party conference appears to be very jubilant, um, very different to what it was uh, last year. Uh, and why not? Um, after the general election results where many felt Labour would lose very, very badly and perhaps be out of power for a generation, they suddenly um, have delivered a hung parliament and uh, have the Tories on the run. But what do we make of all of this? Well, I think certainly Jeremy Corbyn has um, lots of reasons to be to be cheerful. That said, um, I'm not quite so sure that the Labour are, Labour are inevitably on the slow march to power, as it were. If we look at some of the opinion polls this week, there is good news for them. Um, if we just go through some of the polling here, so opinion have the Conservatives two points ahead. But other than that, Labour seem to be uh, in the lead with some of the latest polls. Salvation, who of course we know did so well at the general election, had the Labour Party four points ahead, Labour on 42, the Conservatives on 38. In terms of others, ICM have Labour with a two-point lead, Labour on 42, the Conservatives on 40. And YouGov also have a four-point lead, um, like Salvation, Labour on 43, Conservatives on 39. Now, of course, voting intention polling has had um, a rough ride in the last couple of years, so it would be foolish of us to put um, all our sort of analytical eggs in those baskets, as it were. Um, but it does seem that there's been a shift of uh, opinion towards the Labour Party since the election. How big that shift is and whether it's permanent is quite another matter and we don't quite know yet. But I suppose the biggest problem um, for Labour, I guess, is that we don't necessarily know when the next general election is going to be. The Conservatives obviously have a strong interest in delaying that for as long as possible, and certainly until Brexit is over and until they have a new leader. But at the same time, it's quite hard to see this Parliament lasting um, five years. Yes, it may be in the Conservatives' interests, but with by-elections and with the inevitable uh, political consequences of Brexit, I find that hard to to believe. Uh, personally, I, I think it's quite likely there'll be an election in 2019 or 2020, when there's a, presumably a new prime minister who seeks their own mandate. Of course, they don't have to do that constitutionally, but I suspect um, the, this will become the new norm now when, when people come into power. There's so much pressure on them uh, to call an election unless they can avoid it for a very good reason. So, But the truth is we don't know when the next election is going to be, and we don't know the context of that election. So it's hard to know for sure whether... Um, Labour are maybe getting a little bit ahead of themselves um, uh, you know, this this week. 
There is some interesting polling from YouGov on, um, which is a poll that YouGov do track over time, which looks at uh, who who the voters would prefer as the prime minister. Theresa May still leads Jeremy Corbyn by eight points, uh, by thirty-seven to twenty-nine on that measure, with a large body of people uh, don't know, not sure, no, no particular preference. Now, this can be read in two ways. Of course, you could you could raise an eyebrow that Theresa May is still. Um, still ahead of Jeremy Corbyn, but at the same time, um, we should note that an eight-point gap is very different to the 40-point gap or so that we had back in April and, and May. So Corbyn has clearly um, closed the gap. So what does this tell us about the state of British politics? Well, I think the big it's, it's uncertain, and we just don't know what's going to happen. And that, if anything, really tell you know is is the the, uh, the reality. This is very different to where we were six months ago. So Jeremy Corbyn and Labour can be very happy uh, with where they are. I also have a feeling that, um, you know, they are in a very good... Uh, they, do, they do face a very strong opportunity of seizing power at the next election. I just detect this almost qualitative fatigue when it comes to, um, in inverted commas, austerity. Labour are going to come up with a very big offer on the NHS and on schools and on public services at the next election. I think, if anything, they're going to feel liberated to make bigger and bolder promises after their success in June. And if the Conservatives don't have an answer to that, if they don't have a counter-offer of their own, then I just think it's hard to see how Labour don't pick up seats. I mean, yes, of course, um, there may be greater scrutiny of Jeremy Corbyn now that people think he can legitimately win. But at the same time, I think that's kind of cancelled out somewhat by the fact that he does feel like a legitimate winner now. He does feel like someone that you know, should be taken seriously and might win next time. So I'm not sure I buy too much this idea that, well, when people really focus on him as a potential prime minister, they'll turn away. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. The big elephant in the room is Brexit, and the big unknown in the room is who the next uh, Conservative prime minister is. And to be honest, there's too many variables at this stage to say with any certainty what's going to happen next. But Labour are certainly... Um, in a much better position than they were before the election. Anyway, that's just some brief thoughts on Labour's uh, position today. But the bulk of this episode, as I mentioned, focuses on Germany. Now, there was a general election in Germany at the weekend, and we are still going through the process, or at least the Germans are, of putting together a government, which we assume Angela Merkel will lead. But I'm not an expert on German politics, so I found a man that is. And uh, this conversation you're about to hear now is between me and Dr. Roland Kapper of UCL, talking about the results and what happens next. So I'm here with Dr. Roland Kappa, lecturer in political science at UCL, an expert on German politics. Uh, Roland Kappa, welcome to Polling Matters. Thanks, Karen. Uh, happy to be here. So we want to talk about the German election that's just happened, of course, today. But I think for the benefit of um, listeners that maybe are aware of Angela Merkel, and that's about it, um, maybe could you give us a brief overview of the German system and maybe some of the key parties involved? I mean, what do we need to know? Yeah, of course. So the German electoral system, of course, is famously complicated. Um, but basically, it has the nice features of both sort of a PR proportional representation system and having constituency MPs. So it's basically two two parts to it. Overall, if you look at it sort of from a, from a distance, basically it is a PR proportional representation system, meaning that basically the vote share in the election is roughly proportional to the seat share that, that, that appears in the, in the Bundestag. More specifically, you basically have two votes. Uh, the first vote determines your constituency MP. There the are 299 constituencies. I voted for one of the local MPs. 
um, and these people are elected directly. But then you have your second vote, and that's kind of the more important one, which is the party list vote on the state level. Mm -hmm. um, and until 2009 or so, there, there was a possibility that parties actually got more of these constituency seats than they kind of should get, if you want. Um, based on the PR vote, but that is no longer the case. So the new Bundestag, as some people may have heard, is now increased in size, so it's more than 700 uh, MPs, basically in order to compensate for some parties winning more sort of constituency seats than they, um, than they should, if you want, mm -hmm. um, based, based on the PR vote uh, alone. And this being a proportional representation system, this obviously means that there have, you know, in the past, always been sort of coalition governments, um, so there's it's, it's relatively rare that a party manages to, to win an, an what we call absolute majority, majority of seats um, in, the, in the Bundestag. Sure. So let's talk about the political parties themselves. I guess the more I study politics, the more a lot of the themes that we see in political parties, at least in the West, do seem to transcend different countries. There'll be a centre-left party, there'll be a centre-right party and so on. Now we know about Angela Merkel, but just briefly, if you could, just explain. I think there's six main parties now in the Bundestag without giving the result away. So who are the main political parties? Yeah, it's the it's it's the largest number of, of parties we've ever had in the in the in the parliament, at least in the in the modern era. Um, and basically, the the largest party still is the uh, CDU CSU faction, which is the Christian Democrats. So they are basically a conservative right of centre, at least traditionally right of centre uh, party, and Angela Merkel's party, of course. Um, then you have the Social Democrats, which is sort of traditionally a Labour-type party. Um, and these two used to be the so-called Volksparteien, so the largest the people's parties, the big parties, catch-all parties on, on both sides. And then traditionally there was the FDP, so a, a sort of pro-market pro-business, um, you know, liberal party, socially liberal uh, party that often played sort of a pivotal role. And that's kind of the steady state of the 60s, 70s and into the 80s. And since then there have been new parties. So the Greens are the obvious sort of first edition uh, that came and then the the Linkerly left, left party from the from the mostly from the east east of Germany but also now um, all over Germany really which is sort of a Hard left party, if you want, and then um, now for the first time the the AfD, the Alternative für Deutschland, Alternative for Germany, uh, which is sort of a right wing uh, populist party. So let's re I'll just briefly recap some of the results then. So um, I guess uh, the, probably the simplest way to do this um, over audio is just to read out some of the percentages of votes. So the CDU, CSU, so Angela Merkel's um, sort of conservatives, if you like. 33% of the vote down 9%. I'm rounding up here for effect, but um, you know, quite a sizable drop in their share of the vote, but still by, by far in at least absolute terms, the largest party in percentage of votes. The SD, SPD, sorry, 21%, uh, and they're, they're, so they're the two main parties. They have roughly 53, 54% of the votes. So still a majority, but both down. The S, uh, SPD are down five points uh, compared to the uh, CDU's. CSU's nine points or thereabouts. And then just to rattle through some of the other results, the uh, Die Linke, radical left, 9%, uh, 9.2%, uh, 9 um, Greens, 8.9%, FDP, 107 but then AFD, as you've mentioned, 126 13% of the vote. So, and coming from almost absolutely nowhere, to my mind, as someone that doesn't follow German politics very closely, I suppose, uh, Roland, there is a really obvious comparison uh, to, be, to be made here, not least in 2015, because UKIP got 13% of the vote uh, in the UK, <laughs> much less uh, in June. So where does the AFD 
come from? I mean, what's 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 behind this uh, surge in support for the far right? Because obviously that has uh, obviously very controversial historical um, connotations with Germany's history. Yeah, so so it's um, so the, the the AfD is basically a, so as I said, sort of a radical right wing populist party similar to the FPO in in Austria. I, the the comparison to UKIP is is I'm 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 not entirely sure about it. I think in terms of the voter base and in terms of some of the sort of some of the positions that they take, they are they are similar, but there are there are some 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 differences. I think if you if you um, it's if you think about the um, think about a party. I think you can look at it from two sort of angles. One is sort of who are these people? Who are the activists? Who are the the, the party leaders? And then you can look at it from sort of a voter angle. So let's let's start with the, who these people are. Um, so they're basically different different groups. Um, it was founded originally in 2013 as sort of a single issue anti-euro. That means anti-euro, the currency party, not an not necessarily an anti-EU party, but an anti-currency and anti-sort of Greek bailout party, actually by sort of a group of economics professors. So it was not was not didn't start out as your typical um, sort of radical right-wing party. It was was more centrist on some some of these issues, but you know economically clearly clearly um, clearly to the right. Um, but so you have this group which has has now been sort of marginalised, and some of these people have uh, have left the party. Uh, then you have sort of the the sort of national conservative anti-immigrant types. They're not quite sort of neo-Nazi types, but they are very right-wing, obviously. And then you have people from the extreme right, including some people with sort of neo-Nazi connections. Mm-hmm. And um, I think so they're you know. People may may have heard that before, sort of the election, there was um, one of the party leaders um, sort of making making statements about you know being proud of the achievements of the soldiers in the world wars. And these kind of these kinds of topics they are now rising to 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 the front. It's kind of like dog whistle politics, I guess, um, or it's not even dog whistles. It's just, it's just saying it. <laughs> just yeah. saying so, it. So, so there are so, so some clear appeals to these to to this side. Um, so it's different different groups, if you want. And basically, what's this move from the uh, from the original sort of anti-euro, anti-bailout party um, to sort of this anti-immigrant, you know, populist right-wing party that that really um, sort of added to their appeal. In and the presumably, the migrant crisis and Angela Merkel's policies on immigration are, are what fundamentally drive drive some of this sentiment. Absolutely. So, um, so basically. Um, they started in 2013, they did ditto okay in 2014 elections, um, sort of were normalized and were rising in the polls, but then basically in 2015, so when the, when the refugee crisis uh, happened at the same time, there was a big sort of internal conflict in the party, basically between these, these sort of original, slightly more moderate types, or, or not clearly anti-immigrant types, um, and people led by Frauke Petri, still the well, as of today, still the leader of the party, um, who uh, basically you know, proposed a much more right-wing anti-immigrant kind of agenda, and then capitalised on the on the refugee crisis and 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 some people's sort of you know unhappiness with the way uh, with the way this went. And if you look at a chart, sort of between the number of refugees arriving in uh, in Germany and sort of the the rise of the of the IFD vote intention, uh, you can sort of see a clear clear relationship um, there. Um, so who's, uh, so who's voting? Uh, who's voting for the AfD then? Because I mean, this pod, listeners to this podcast and people that follow politics here, and and I guess with Trump as well in the US, will instinctively, I feel, imagine there are certain patterns with education, maybe, or with uh, geography, or, or, this, or this sort of thing. But obviously, Germany's a very different country. So, so where is the AfD drawing its support from? Yeah, I think so. In terms of the voters, they're basically. Um, a couple of things to to keep in mind. So I think the most important thing is this: this is a protest vote. So um, in the 
in one of the exit polls, uh, people were asked um, basically whether they vote for or against parties, right? So they, whether their motivation is mostly based on sort of alignment with a party or sort of in opposition to others. And 60% of the of the AFD voters said they voted mostly because they stand against the, 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 the other parties. So that's kind of one, one voter group, clearly. Um, secondly, um, basically the AFD managed to mobilize um, previous non-voters, especially in the East. So these are people who you know, didn't agree with the policies, but just didn't go to vote because they didn't feel represented, perhaps, or some of whom might have voted for the left party, who was also mm -hmm. sort of an advocate of, of, um, of sort of, you know, Certain, certain groups, obviously. Um, the, third, the third part, I think, so about a million people or so of those who voted the AFD, so there's some, some, uh, some, some statistics on this, um, are basically former CDU voters. So, so a million out of how many in total? So what's the, what's the approximate proportion of that? Or do we know yet? Uh, okay, so, so about one million of the, out of the 5.8 or so uh, million uh, AFD voters were sort of former voters of the of the CDU of the, uh, the Christian. So this is an this is an interesting point. Just going back to my British desperation to make links across uh, across Europe and, and 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 the West. So Angela Merkel's obviously been very very strong in her in her words that she's not going to tolerate the AfD. She's not going to sort of bow to their policy agenda and so on and so forth. But I've heard that before. You know, with David Cameron, um, obviously very different context where he had a certain agenda for the Conservative Party referred to as modernisation, um, obviously legalised gay marriage, things like this. Uh, people can question just to what extent he was successful in doing that or just how centrist he was. That's for another day, maybe. But there was clearly a, a way that UKIP found of um, being the sort of tail that wagged the Conservative dog, if you like, and really influencing Conservative policy. The referendum being the obvious um, outcome of that and then subsequently there are many people that think well part of the reason UKIP melted away is because the Conservatives essentially adopted their policies and, and Theresa May is doing that now and the future Conservative Party will be much more towards the UKIP end than the David Cameron end and I guess there's a whole debate about whether that's true or not. To what extent do you think um, the CDU, CSU will be concerned that a similar thing could happen, maybe not, not on Dexit or Gexit or whatever you want to call it, but on just policy terms in Germany, that the AFD could get to such a level, either it would hold the balance of power, or maybe more, more importantly, it could influence the direction that the CDU goes after Merkel, because she may not want to go in that direction, but there must be some people in her party that have some sympathy with the AFD. Yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's one of the big questions, obviously, how, how this, how this um, develops. And I think one of the, one of the I think one of the, Things that that have become clear is that that it is of course sort of the move of the of the Christian Democrats to to the centre under Merkel, who has made you know, made many policies that are much more centrist than many of the party you know voters or members even um, like. And basically, this has opened up the, the the space on the on the right for for uh, for this party to 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 jump in. Uh, this is very much a discussion at the moment, especially in the state of Bavaria. So um, there, the CSU, so the Bavarian wing of the Christian Democratic Party, um, basically, um, they they seem to think that so that they didn't do very well. They they usually win with huge percentages, and they didn't do very well this time. Um, and the AfD did quite well compared to other Western uh, West, West German states. 
And basically the debate in, 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 in the media is also now whether you know, the, the CSU politicians are saying, well, we should move to the right. We have to, we have to close this, this, this gap. Huh? We, we, we don't want to lose these, uh, these voters. Whereas I think I would say that, that sort of ceding the debate to these topics means, means losing to the, to the right-wing populists. So if you, if you, if you let, let the AFD in this case dominate the debate and the, 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 the issues that, are, that matter, then you know they, people will keep voting for this for this party, and mm. I think the CSU case is is uh, is indicative of this because they have they have actually tried to make policy or, or politics against Merkel during the last last year or two years by by constantly sniping by sort of suggesting a cap on the number of refugees etc. But in a way, it hasn't worked in terms of deterring. AFD voters in their own mm -hmm. state, but instead they've kind of you know seeded the ground in terms of the debate being a lot about these these topics, and then the AFD AFD wins. So it's one of the big questions of how to I suppose deal a, with this party um, now. And a proportional system, which is obviously very different to the UK. Then actually, there's no if you're dragging the CDU in your direction, there's no real reason to stop voting AFD, is there? Because you'll still get those those seats in Parliament. That's right. But I have I mean. On that though, how so you talked about immigration? Obviously, with UKIP and the Conservatives, it was all about you know uh, EU membership. But is it is it immigration that really drives what the AFT are after? Yeah, I think I think that's the that that has become the the dominant issue. So it is it is an anti Merkel vote. It is a it is but it is an anti sort of refugee anti immigrant um, a vote. And this is if you if you listen to the to the party leaders, mm. um, this is kind of their their topic, uh, and it's basically providing a platform for people who. Who don't agree with the general direction of the country on these on these uh, these issues, mm. um, and they so so these are these are the, the I think the main voter base. Um, and if you look at the if you look at the sort of statistics apart from that, it's obviously a party that did uh, as I just said sort of better in Bavaria than 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 in other West German states, despite these these efforts by the right much more right sort of um, CSU. Um, it obviously is higher in the east. Apart from that, so it actually managed the AfD actually managed to become the largest party in state of Saxonia, um, and which is on the right far east. east of yeah, Germany, it's yeah. the far right, so say if you far right out, Germany, <laughs> so far, far east, um, uh, and so so they are yeah predominantly east German um, males. So there's big gender gap. So you know, same as in in the UK, mm -hmm. in the US, you know, males are. Are more likely to vote, vote for a party like this, and of course education, and obviously, you know, speaking of the East, um, much higher in areas where there are actually sort of few to none uh, in terms of refugees. So it's um, it's areas where where the sort of actual encounters don't don't really happen, but the mm -hmm. the, the the party has been able to to mobilize these these fears or these these views, of course. Um, let's talk a bit about um, Merkel. Um, I think the consensus from the way the British media is portraying the results is that not a great night for her, uh, vote down 9%, 9 percentage points or 8.6. Um, but at the same time, it's very difficult to see how she doesn't end these negotiations as the Chancellor. I mean, do, do, you, uh, do you share that view? And also, what sort of coalition might we expect? Because for the benefit of listeners who aren't following German politics very closely, there is a grand coalition, or there was, between the two main parties and possibly others, uh, going into this election, but maybe that's not going to be the case now. I mean, what, what are we looking at now? 
Yeah, so so on the first point, so so Merkel's Merkel's party lost uh, lost a lot, uh, but they lost a lot compared to two thousand thirteen, and they've had a similar result in two thousand nine. So it's not so uh, extraordinary. So they did quite well in two thousand thirteen compared to well in two thousand thirteen. So so the losses are, are are bad compared to last last time. They are bad in general, uh, but they are you know they they are kind of similar to to previous results. I think the the, the dramatic thing is the sort of erosion of the support for social democrats, but. Um, Moving, moving to Merkel and the, and the coalitions, you're right. So at the moment we have what's called a grand coalition. Uh, that is the Christian Democrats, so the Conservatives if you want, and the Social Democrats, the Labour if you want. Um, uh, so this is the Tories and Labour in coalition together. If, it's a yeah, strange I mean, concept for Brits. A, a, a version of this, but you have to imagine yeah. a very social democratic leader of the Tories. Um, so um, so the, these are currently forming what's what we call a grand coalition. They could form this again. It would not. It would be, I guess, the not so grand coalition because because they, they, they keep losing, especially Social Democrats vote, uh, vote share. So they would still command a majority, but it's not this like crazy super majority that Grand Coalition used to have um, in the past. Now, the problem with this is that, um, that during the so-called elephant round, so in the evening of the election, there's a studio discussion with all the leaders um, of the parties, Merkel, Schulz, etc. It's quite brutal. They, they talk to each other, at each other. Um, and the leader of the Social Democrats, Schulz, um, he ruled out another Grand Coalition um, so they, he says, we social democrats have to go into opposition um, and basically recover from these from these losses, and it's a clear message from the electorate to 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 not continue this. Um, now that makes it makes it problematic because apart from the grand coalition, the only other um, sort of coalition that is that is feasible and not completely you know completely impossible from a political point of view. So. Mm-hmm. Ignoring the AFD, for example, um, is the so-called Jamaica coalition. Um, <laughs> so it's named named after the flag of Jamaica. So it's about uh, it's a it's a black, uh, yellow, and green coalition. So black for the Christian Democrats, uh, yellow for the Free uh, Free Democratic Party (FDP), the mm-hmm. sort of pro-market Liberals, and green for the Greens. And that's that's kind of the only other alternative. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm just, my very cursory knowledge of these parties would be that, okay, you've got Angela Merkel's party, so the, the Christian Democrats, as you say, go into coalition with the Greens and all that, that tends to represent, which is kind of a quite left-wing party, one would assume, but then a kind of free market pro-business party as well. And I can see how maybe Christian Democrats and a free market party might have a natural alliance, and maybe right. in a first-past-the-post system they would be in the same party. That's right. Um, but with the Greens as well, there must, there must be tension here, and is that deliverable? That's, that's, uh, that, that is, uh, <laughs> that's that is indeed the big question. Um, so, so you're absolutely right. So, um, so the ideological distance between these parties is quite, quite large, especially thinking about, for example, the Greens, which are, who are economically... You know, clearly to the left and the pro-market Liberal Party, they don't share much uh, on, on economic issues. Um, but especially also think about the Greens and the Bavarian wing of the Christian Democrats. These these people hate each other. Yeah. So this 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 is a sort of a you know a socially liberal sort of leftist party together with the most conservative party or part of a party in Germany apart from the AfD. They are somehow supposed to to form a coalition. Now that's it's not going to be completely straightforward. There's precedent for it. There was mm. um, there was a Jamaica coalition on the state level um, in uh, the Saarland between 2009 and 2012 and it didn't fail for ideological reasons, it failed for, for sort of scandal, local level mm-hmm. kind of stuff um, and in Schleswig-Holstein since, uh, since the summer um, but this, this ideological distance of course uh, looms large so I think there are basically there are basically three scenarios now Okay, uh, number one um, 
the Jamaica coalition. So the big question is, can, as, as you ask, uh, can, it, can it be agreed? And if it is agreed, will it last? So you know, it's always the potential, of course, in a, in a sort of parliamentary system mm -hmm. that, that one of the party parties the walks out. And, yeah, yes. you know, um, and I think the, the big problem here isn't even the FDP and the Greens. And I think they are, you know, they, they, they hold very dis distinct views, but I think they, they would be able to somehow form this. Huh? Um, but, uh, but I think the big question is the CSU's, the Bavarian wing of the Christian Democratic Party, mostly because of the relative success of the AFD in Bavaria and them mm -hmm. wanting to sort of close this down. And there are elections in Bavaria next year. So um, for them, this, this next year will, will count in terms of, uh, in terms of support. The, the other complication with the with the Jamaica sort of coalition formation is that both the Greens and the Liberal Party and maybe the CSU even will pull their members on whether they actually want to do this, right. um, which which is an obvious sort of problem. So even if they agree on a on a on a coalition contract, as we as we um, as we call it, um, there might be sort of that might be rejected by the members because if you if you ask if you ask party members or party voters, sorry, um, on you know whether this Jamaica coalition is a good thing, there isn't a majority uh, for that in, in any of these uh, in any of these parties at least before the election. So we'll see how this develops. So the first option is the Jamaica coalition. Then there are basically two other options. What happens if the talks fail? So if um, if if Merkel isn't able to form a coalition with uh, with with the Greens and the FDP, so Jamaica fails. Um, I think there's still there's still a chance, if you want, um, of uh, of a grand coalition continuing. So the SPD leader Schulz has ruled this out now. And has said we we don't want to form a coalition. But the, you know, fast forward three months or four months, and you know, a failed coalition uh, formation and the the right wing AFD sort of having a field day. You know, maybe the the sort of more um, you know responsible elements of the social democrats will say, well, we have to we have to suffer perhaps as a, as a party, but we need to provide stability for the for mm -hmm. the for the country. So I think this is not not completely out of the question that we that we get to this. And one sort of side aspect on this is that if you looked on on election night, um, all the ministers, uh, social democratic ministers in the current cabinet, um, they were quiet. They were n nowhere to be seen. So Gabriel the the Foreign Minister and Vice Chancellor uh, didn't, you know, didn't appear in front of the camera. So all these people are very quiet, yeah. um, and I think so. There's a potential for for this to 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 shift. So that's the basically the second option. So Jamaica is one option. Jamaica fails, and maybe we get a get a grand coalition again. Um, I'm, I I wouldn't be able to put sort of like a probabilities on these. Sure. And then the third outcome, which I think is is less likely to be honest, um, is there's no agreement. So if there's no coalition to be formed. And there's potential, of course, uh, to to have uh, to have new elections, mm -hmm. and I think, but I think most most people involved would not be too too happy about this. Sure, and just move. I mean, moving on slightly uh, from a different perspective. I mean, what does all this mean uh, for Brexit? Obviously, that's the thing dominating thoughts over here. Um, I presume that all the, pretty much most of the German, if not all, well, maybe not the AfD, are quite pro-European parties. Um, there seems to be quite a lot of consensus, to be honest, on Brexit from a German perspective. I mean, does it matter to the British government, really, uh, what these results are, given that, uh, if you, for want of a better phrase, a German establishment has a sort of settled consensus on on Brexit and Europe, so that won't necessarily really matter who forms what government with it? I think that's, I think that's, that's right. It won't matter all that much. Now, Brexit is 
is this kind of all-consuming topic in the in the UK, but that's not the case for for Germany. Also, it doesn't. You know, it's, it, it features in the news, of course, and it's being discussed, but it's not. You know, nowhere near the importance uh, it, it has here. Um, I think the most important aspect of of of, uh, of the sort of German election collision formation for uh, for Brexit is time. So uh, Merkel will be focused on forming a government for the next you know three months at least, two mm -hmm. months. So, um, uh, so this this will take take, take her attention, obviously, um, maybe longer if if, if talks uh, don't don't work well, um, and she will probably be happy to have sort of you know with with the with the other European leaders to have delegated the negotiations to to Barnier. I don't think I don't think mm -hmm. this this features very highly on her agenda at the moment, just because you know she has to to preserve her political. Um, mm -hmm. survival really um, so so I think the time aspect is the biggest biggest question then there's maybe sort of stability concerns I guess so if you think about about this Jamaica coalition being formed and sort of the the you know you can already see the fault lines between the Christian Democrats in Bavaria and the Greens for example and what 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 you know what happens if there's another sort of wave of refugees or if something happens? So there's there's always the question of whether there's there's you know at some point the coalition breaks down and there's going to be new elections. Et Is it conceivable that the German government a year eighteen months from now could fall because one of the smaller parties doesn't like how, what what Merkel's giving the Brits, or do you not think they would? take it that seriously? I, I don't think a coalition would break over Brexit mm -hmm. uh, in Germany. I think a coalition would break over, over refugee issues or over party internal kind of issues. Um, well, it's making the, um, the decision to, to invoke Article 50 and call, a, and call a general election, they call them more inspired, but that's maybe for uh, another podcast. Final question then, Angela Merkel, um, she's, been, she's been around a while. Um, I mean, how, how, long, how long do we think she's going to go on for? I mean, she's, she's alluded to standing down previously, hasn't she? But politicians don't have a habit of giving up the limelight, do they? Not no. willingly anyway. No, that's right. Um, it's, it's, it's very unclear. Um, there, was, there, was, there were rumours about this um, at some point. Um, but um, I think I think she sees herself as, as sort of indispensable, and that's, that that may that may <laughs> that may or may not be uh, be true. She won't um, be the first politician to think that. That's that's right. Um, I think one thing to keep in mind is that that you know, like like any good leader of a party, she has basically eliminated all the potential rivals. Uh, now that that is has been very successful, she, so she has. Uh, promoted people to be president and to be EU commissioner and to do all sorts of things to get them out of the way, um, and so so there isn't really a, a clear um, sort of successor, um, and I think that's that's the, that's that's potentially then uh, then a problem if if or when she declares that she would step down. I'm not sure what this process would look like, um, but it would prob probably also involve uh, involve another round of elections quickly following a change in the chancellorship. Dr. Roland Kappa, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Gary. And that's all we've got time for for this week's uh, politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. As ever, if you do like what you hear, please uh, give us a like or a share on social media, Twitter, even with its 280 characters or whatever, whatever it is now. Um, if you uh, really like what we do, then maybe subscribe to us on iTunes or other podcast apps. Leave us a five-star rating and a positive comment. If you don't really like us, then you don't have to worry about any of that. Um, but anything you do do to share our, uh, share our podcast really does help get our name out there. We still now, even three years later, 
to get people uh, that are new to the show saying, you know, where have you been all my life? So uh, it's uh, maybe not quite those words, but we are still getting new listeners. So um, we do very much appreciate your help in spreading the word. But for now, thanks for listening and stay tuned for more podcast episodes in the coming weeks, including the uh, latest on Catalonia.